0: welcome to CQ for Global Leaders. Join cross-cultural leadership expert Dr. Tom Vergus as he offers perspectives and strategies on the issues affecting global leaders in the ever-changing world of global business.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of CQ for Global Leaders. My name is Tom Vergus, and I'm joined by Dr. Jürgen Strauss.
0: Hi Tom, how are you going? I'm terrific, thanks Jürgen. And you? I'm good, thanks, yeah. So today, what are we talking about on today's episode? I thought on this episode we would talk about recruitment.
1: Mm. Recruitment across cultures. Okay, Recruitment across cultures. Mm. What prompted that? Actually, good question. It was prompted (laughs) by a phone call I had this morning from a client around some of the challenges they were having in building some of their teams in the different countries. Mm -hmm. And she was raising a couple of the challenges, and in that conversation it prompted me to think, well, if she was having that issue and that organization was having that issue, it probably would be something that other people would be having as well. Yeah. So why not explore that topic briefly?
0: Good idea, yeah. And it's funny that we... Have those conversations, and that always prompts some reflection and a thought process. Indeed it mm. does, you know. Because, again, the
1: whole idea of these podcasts is actually to prompt reflection. Yeah. And so here
0: we are doing the same. That's right. So what were some of the challenges that she outlined? She raised two key issues that she wanted
1: help with. One was the... A fact that in some of the markets, what she was finding were that people were recruiting very similar people to themselves. So, e.g., just coming from the, you know, recruiting people from the same university, same Mm. departments, etc. So, affiliation bias. And, you know, we have spoken about this before. I've done podcasts on this previously. On affiliation bias is actually very common in all forms of, uh, of uh, recruitment. We need to be really aware of that. The other thing she was talking about was they were really keen as an organization. They talked a lot about representing the community, mm-hmm. looking similarly to what the community was, and that was not being reflected. Mm. So she wanted to find out and explore that a little further.
0: Okay. And what were some of your thoughts that came out of those discussions?
1: Well, I think in terms of affiliation I mentioned to her that that is actually quite a common thing mm. that occurs because it's a sense of comfort as human beings yeah. you know, we are attracted to people who are similar to us. One of the challenges that we face in many of many other countries say, apart from say Australia if you are working in countries where there are not a lot of universities, for instance. You tend to obviously, their biases on, well, I'm going to go to that particular university mm. because they have an expertise yeah. in that field. And if you have then people in the, in the space who've come from that university, of course there's a higher level of trust mm. uh, from that. So... People feel, I mean, let's face it, when I'm hiring somebody, what I'm trying to do is reduce my risk of failure, Yeah. right? I want to make sure if I'm going to go through a whole group of CVs, interview a bunch of people, I'm trying to reduce my risk and go for the safest option Mm. in terms of what I think will work. Mm. Hence, that's what... um, that's what was happening in some of those different countries. And she was particularly talking about some countries in Asia Pacific. Mm. So I must
0: excuse my dog for barking in the background. <laughs> Getting excited. Very excited, excited. Wants, yes. Wants to be in on the conversation.
1: Indeed he does. <laughs> Indeed he does. So I think that was one of the things that was coming up around the affiliation piece. Mm. The second thing was when we were talking about representing the community, one of the challenges it, that happens in some of the different countries is... There are different legislations and there are different groups, so ethnic groups mm-hmm. in different countries. Sometimes it's not always possible uh, because the, the the hierarchical structure of some countries and how certain groups tend to sometimes dominate certain ethnicities, ser- tend to dominate certain types of professions, certain types of roles, yeah. certain types of jobs so some it it, it can pose mm. a challenge
0: yeah and then sometimes you also have the um what do they call it the quotas some quota exactly. system to to kind of address minorities not the, not yes, having the, the same opportunity yeah
1: the inequalities mm. uh, as such and of course you know, that opens up a lot of debate around Quotas and mm. you know, does it work and doesn't it work? Mm. And, you know, is it useful? Is it positive discrimination, uh, etc. I think, you know, depending on what your own views are, what your own biases are, you could argue for both. And there's no such thing as a perfect system. I think you need to be looking at well, what's the outcome that we're trying to achieve here, mm. and how do we go about uh, doing that based on what we know today.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, what are some of the risks around? Um, hiring people that essentially are similar to the people that are already there. What are some of the risks involved in that and, and how would you go about bringing in some diversity, some people with a new perspective new or perspective. different thought? Terrific. Mm.
1: So one of the things I suggested to her is that because they have locations in multiple countries and they do have leaders who travel to those countries, mm. I suggested to them that perhaps some of the leaders could get involved in some of the recruitment mm-hmm. exercises. I'm not talking, of course, at, at, at a junior level, but you know, perhaps that, that next level yeah, down, yeah. perhaps the next two levels down, because a senior leader or a leader visiting, again, from the outside, brings an external perspective. Mm. And the leader does not have to talk about the nitty-gritties of the job. Because let's just take an assumption that those things have been done. So if we've culled it down to, say, the top three candidates, yeah. how can we as a leader or how can I as a leader come in and ask the sort of questions that is really looking at alignment to organizational values? Mm. Uh, perhaps looking at what are some of the outside interests that you have yeah. apart from the job? Mm. So in other words, what do you bring?
0: That's unique beyond the skills. Correct. Mm.
1: We talked in one of the earlier episodes about the brand, Mm. your own personal brand. What is the personal brand of that individual? We talked in one of the episodes about... Uh, prospecting or business development, and you may recall we talked about the fact of how important it is to have some sort of digital presence. Mm. Again, we can look at those things today because it informs us of the individual. We, of course, want to be conscious of our own biases when we look at them, Mm. but at least it gives us a a, a feel of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good... good approach to have different perspectives looking at the candidates and providing that input. And then, of course, it does require the final decision maker having the flexibility to say, well, okay, well, let's try somebody that's a little bit out of the normal mold here. Yeah.
1: Mm. yeah. And, and again, it's about looking and, and ensuring that we have a level of equity in our criteria. Mm. I recall many, many years ago uh, working with a large multinational who kept saying very, extremely difficult to hire Asian leaders. Okay, I mean, they were developing mm-hmm. Asian talent, of course. I kept saying to them, how can, how can that be the case? Yeah. It shouldn't be the case. They said, no, they don't meet the criteria. And so when we started exploring the criteria, we looked at the things that we're looking for. There were a number of things in that criteria, which was really quite countercultural. Mm. Uh Two of the things that really spring to mind, one is the ability to uh, speak in public. Yeah. Uh, and that was a real that was a requirement that they had for leaders, uh, and two was the ability to debate and challenge in groups. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's right. Was another requirement that they had. Which and, are
0: both things that are almost countercultural. In
1: fact, exactly, they were just countercultural. Mm. So therefore, if you're assessing someone on those, and they're not going to be demonstrating that, mm. again, what it showed up was well lack of leadership ability, mm. rather than looking at it from a different perspective and think well, in certain cultures, actually the challenging is not done in a group. Mm. It's done more subtly. It's done softly. It may be done outside of the meeting. So yeah. there's many different ways to do it. Again, this is where cultural intelligence comes into play. Mm. Knowledge comes into play. How do I attune myself to choosing good leaders? In certain cultures, your caste system is important in whether you're a senior leader Hmm. in other cultures it may be very much on your level of industry experience your level of know-how whereas in other cultures it may be the fact that you are an extremely good network yeah and well connected to you know the royal family (laughs) yeah or the high end of government? Who mm. knows? You know, there are very many, many different ways of looking at it. I think it's about actually being aware and being clear of what are the what are the things we're mm. looking for here.
0: Yeah, and what what uh, contribution can be made in a local environment as well by that person? I always found it fascinating when, um, in my experience, the kind of headquarters which was based in a country, yep, would hire for a senior manager in these other countries and there would be this countercultural kind of requirement which didn't actually apply to that position in countries. That's that was, right, that's yeah.
1: right, which is why so many of those expat positions, expatriate positions would not achieve the desired mm. outcomes. When you talk about, if you look at it three year posting, your first year really learning the job, the second year is actually doing it. The third year is really transferring of your technology. Yeah, yeah. It's like, how do I develop someone else mm. or how do I develop others to take on my role? Unfortunately, that is not something that's done mm. a lot of. I mean, it's, you're seeing more and more of that today because also the compensation levels are changing. And people are thinking more around that. Yet, it's something that we need to just always be aware of.
0: Mm. Okay. And what are some of the other challenges that you see in the area of recruitment and particularly across cultures?
1: I think in a lot of the the developing countries where
0: there's a tremendous
1: amount of growth, it's extremely hard to keep people. Mm right so there is value in actually switching jobs because that's how one gets promoted Mm. and i've had numerous conversations over the years with senior leaders who talk about the frustration the difficulty we bring someone in we train them up and then they leave Mm. okay so, of course, retention is a whole different strategy. Mm. And perhaps that will make a, another topic yeah, yeah. at another That's time, one, retaining yeah. mm. retaining people. But if you're going to bring people in and accept the fact that actually I'm going to keep them, they're only going to be with me a year, two years, three years, max, mm. and they're going to move because of their own development, mm you then think about it in a different way it becomes very much a, a long well how do i maximize and utilize the time they are here yeah before they move on of course if they stay great hmm. i think it was richard branson you know, who, who 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 said like train train them train people well enough so they can do what what they're good at and treat them well enough so they don't want, don't to, want go, to go. Yeah. Right. So mm. but inevitably you need to train people. As yeah. someone I think I read somewhere a long time ago, they said, you know, you're wasting all the money on training. So what would you rather have? An untrained group of people or
0: not Yeah, yeah. Tom O'Toole says this beautifully. He says, um, to that very point of people are turning over quite regularly. So why should I train them? Uh, you know, why should I train people because they're just going to leave? And he says, well, you know, what if you train them and they, what if you don't train them and they stay? Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> yes, that's good. That's good, that's, yeah, good. Yeah. that's good, that's a good way of looking at mm. it. Yeah, so I, I think that that is a key in terms of a lot of countries that we are not going to find people who may stay in for 10, 20, 30 years in a row. That, that, is, not, mm. that is not my experience. Um, I was recently in Malaysia talking to a friend of mine who has three children and all three are in their 20s. And all three have changed jobs on average every 18 months. Mm. Okay? In that process, they've all just escalated their roles. They've just, all of them have just taken on bigger roles, with better remuneration, better benefits, etc., and I have to say that some of the benefits in terms of retention is really very, very attractive, which you're having to do because you're competing. Mm. You're competing for talent, and everyone wants talent, mm. right? So how do That's we right. actually yeah. how do we attract them and how yeah. do we keep them? And on on the other hand, how do we in fact let some go when?
0: time comes Mm. yeah i remember when i first started my career in germany i my first real job was in germany and it was probably much more so in germany than it is here in australia that at at a professional level when you started with a big company that was basically where your career was yes and most people would start at that company at some level at say in their mid-20s late 20s and they would retire when they reach retirement age from that company, and I remember when uh, I decided to leave my company. I was there five years and I decided to leave. That was like everybody was totally shocked. It was mm. unheard of. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. it's different yeah. today. it's the first of all, it's the opportunity there's so many more opportunities. people are much more mobile. people are happy to you know relocate for their career or for a new yes. opportunity. And the communication with, we talked about social media um, in, in a previous episode, but the social media also outlines or gives us visibility both as an employee and as an employer um, that allows much more mobility.
1: Indeed, indeed. I remember many years ago speaking to someone who talked about joining a large multinational in the 60s and he said his whole career was mapped out hmm. like there was like a 40-year career <laughs> which was mapped out yeah yeah you know this is where you this was your next level you spent x number of years here then you move to this level hmm. and this level it was amazing hmm. but then of course that's not the reality of today no so again when we are recruiting how do we ensure that we understand what's going on in the mind hmm. of people we are trying to recruit what age group are they what millennials you know or are they baby boomers or mm. they gen Xers, et cetera? how do we bring them in for the different roles how do we so firstly attract them and then of course you want to look at at retention mm. um, and
0: yeah and understanding a little bit around their expectation as well as values and outside interests as you pointed out mm-hmm. um i one one of the things i always laugh about and I think there's jokes about this as well as the, the traditional job interview and there's always that question of where do you see yourself in five years time? Yeah. <laughs> yes,
1: yes. I wonder if that's worth asking nowadays, really. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, or when you ask that question, whatever's coming across from the other side, you have to say, really? Yeah. <laughs> mm. you know, what do you want to hear in response to yeah, that yeah, question? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Would you like me to lie about <laughs> that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, mm. I think you're you're right. It's uh, you know I, th- I think it's difficult to think that far ahead, right? Because things just change mm. so much. You need to have perhaps important to think about it in terms
0: of career, having a mm. career
1: yeah. of where you understanding yes.
0: the aspirations and. Mm.
1: But is that going to be in this particular line or is it going to be in this particular organization? Yeah. Uh, of course, that, that's going to be something that we need to be aware of. And also coming back to recruitment, Jagan, I think it's important for us to be conscious of our own biases when it comes to things like accents, uh, language, uh, speed of communication, written skills, mm. uh, how we show up. Uh, you know, how we answer questions when we you know, all these are just different ways that across cultures have mm. slightly different bearings yeah uh, and we need to be conscious of that ourselves in some cultures are really great at self-promotion and can say this are all things i did whereas other cultures are not and so mm. how do we listen mm. for those responses uh about all things that as individuals and as people who are in, who, if they're involved in recruiting
0: need to be aware of. Hmm. All right. Well, what's the takeaway you'd like to leave the audience today?
1: I think a couple of points would be, one, if you are involved in recruitment, what are some of the biases hmm. that you bring into it, not just in your local market but across cultures? Yeah. That's the first thing. Uh, secondly, can you broaden your... Field. So, in other words, can you, in fact, attract more diversity into your organization? And, of course, this is working on, I have a bias that diversity is Mm. going to add to it, and lots of research that demonstrates that. However, if you're having diversity, then you're going to have to manage it a little bit, slightly differently. You need to be better as a leader. Mm. But it's going to give you better outcomes. Mm. So... You know, are we in fact reflective of the society? Are there things that we can do to be more inclusive? And how do we become? You know, they, they talk about the employer of choice. How do we attract the right sort of people mm. to us as yes. an organisation?
0: Yeah, and of course, people can learn. A lot more about how to manage that uh, diversity by listening to this podcast and reading a lot more of your books and podcasts. Indeed, uh, and
1: reaching out to and me as well. Posts. Yeah, <laughs> blog posts, and I blog posts. to say, yes. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, Great. and reaching out. Indeed.
1: Excellent. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Jürgen. I'll see you in the next episode. we Will do. Bye for now.
0: Bye. Thanks for joining us on CQ for Global Leaders. To find out more or contact us, go to culturalsynergies.com.